Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You are listening to Missed Apex iRacing Podcast. Let's get faster. You are listening to Missed Apex iRacing Podcast, streaming live for the first time to an audience of, ooh, over seven people at the moment. So let's hope that our panel uh, doesn't get flustered and doesn't get stage fright. First, we are joined by a driving expert in real life and in the sim world, Brad Philpott. How's it going, Brad? It's going really well, uh, as you well know, because I've had a piece of equipment turn up. Uh, You've had a new steering wheel turn up yes see for me though getting a when i when i bought one of our one of our friends kit off them it meant going from a uh, a gear driven i think just a wheel one of the logitech ones go and then going to a, a belt driven wheel so there was a real difference in the feel and strength whereas you've just got a new pretty facade so isn't it just that your rig is now prettier I mean, it definitely is prettier uh, because it, it the buttons even light up. But it's not just that. It is actually um, better um, objectively because I've got uh, nicer paddles. They're adjustable. I can move them into all different places depending on um, how long my fingers are. Um, I can also set way more functions because there's lots of rotary dials. And there's even a clutch bite point adjuster, which is really, really cool. Amazing. And I hope that your old wheel isn't going to Matt too rumpets because he's fast enough anyway how's it going matt uh it's going pretty well and no i am not fast enough this week at all it is terrifying yes right then i i think then i think we're going to lead off with the question you have brought to the party matt because uh, I, I wanted to ask you guys what you've been up to as well in the in the world of i racing i've been focusing on on f3 i got quite a few races in at okayama i had a a, a bit of a a bit of a tiff with the wife about my plans for iRacing this week because we had the F3 officials and the swarm that we run. And we've got the final of the Missed Apex Formula Renault 2.0 challenge. Are you joining us for that on Brad on Friday? I was definitely planning to, um, but now I've got this DNLS race on Saturday morning and I just want to be as prepared as possible for that. So I, I'm out of all the single seaters this week. I'm just thrashing around the Nordschleifer in preparation for that event. And I've actually got another thing on Sunday, which I don't have time to practice for. Wow. Well, all the cool kids are doing the Missed Apex Formula Renault 2.0. But oh, I did see your VCO uh, effort where you were racing with the likes of Grosjean and Verstappen and all those uh, in this sort of pro matched with a pro sim racer and your team lasted did you get to the first corner did you even get to the first corner well I was sat happily watching as a spotter as my teammate rolled at turn one so I didn't get very far in the last VCO Um, VCO uh, as an organization I think it's called the virtual competition organization I think that's what it stands for they're the guys that seem to be organizing a lot of these big iRacing events at the moment Um, they have a nation's cup on Sunday so have to be a real world licensed driver so I'm teamed up with ex-Formula 1 driver Will Stevens uh, IndyCar driver Ah. Stefan Wilson and British touring car ace Tom Ingram so that's team GB for Sunday so that's that's the next VCO thing hopefully that'll go better so this is not meant in any way disrespectful, but I've heard of all the other guys. Like that's quite a high-profile team that you're in. 
Yeah, it is. Uh, I think hopefully I'll be the quickest though as a sim driver out of mm. those guys. So uh, I've got a hopefully a decent balance, but I uh, yeah I haven't had time to practice, and I doubt I will have time to practice before then because although we know the cars and tracks, they've very deliberately not told us which cars are driving at which tracks um, to make it harder for everyone. Now that's interesting because we've been having a big debate over on the F1 podcast about the proposed sprint races that that uh, Stefano Domenicali has been talking about. And it looks like we're going to have those for three races during the F1 season, these Saturday sprint races. And a lot of people in the comments to a tweet I said about it were talking about the lack of practice. If you if you want to mix things up, the way to do it is a lack of practice. So you are entering an event where they're deliberately restricting practice time. I was thinking about doing that for the next season of the Missed Apex um, events because the more pe- at the moment we put on two practice sessions two full practice sessions which gives everybody time to like really get dialed in get sorted with a setup and and then they turn up and they're just you know the top guys are predictably up ahead so you've got the hattons and the hennies and stuff uh, and uh, ellis up ahead it could mix it up quite a bit matt if we just said right we're not telling you until two days beforehand uh just unlucky just deal with it uh, yeah, but maybe not in the way that you'd like, because the people who have the time to practice will just do all the practicing and the people who are fastest will be even faster. In general, I find that or my guess is that the more uh, that the more practice actually benefits the slower people and probably brings them a little closer to the front rather than vice versa. Oh, so what can we do? What can we do to hobble them, Brad? What can we do? What would make it hardest for you? to turn up to an event like the Missed Apex iRacing event and not just immediately apply your goodness? So I've got a couple of suggestions. If, if this is the aim and you want to keep a keep a good um, quality of driving, so not random because people just haven't had a chance to practice and they're going to be off the track and that kind of thing. If you yeah. want to mix it up in terms of relative order, then I think my my long-term suggestion of reverse championship order as grids for every race. I don't know how easy that is to do. In fact, it's probably quite hard to do on iRacing, but that would always ensure that the the fastest drivers are at the back and the slowest drivers are at the front and you'll always have this kind of big mixture. Um, Alternative to that, you could go a little bit more artificial. It'll still keep things, um, it'll keep it sane. It'll mean you won't have crazy you know people crashing and that kind of thing because of lack of experience but you could add ballast you could do some kind of um weight penalty some kind of driver balance of performance like that to to keep everyone close does i racing have a function to add weight to a single seater matt uh double the fuel for the platinum guys oh yeah but then that is a bit of trust on that matt though (laughs) guys have you definitely put double the fuel in oh yo absolutely i definitely have yeah, I agree. That that does involve a bit of trust. I don't know if there's a way of enforcing certain penalties like that. Certainly in multi-class and GT racing, it's quite easy to do. Yeah, and that was the other thing we were thinking about doing, but I don't think we ever are going to do it. If we've got a field of, say, 50 drivers, which is conceivable for next season, everyone always occasionally brings up, like, multi-class. So do you have, like, some guys in the Formula Renault 2.0, some guys in Formula 3? Does that add anything, do you think, to the to the event? Personally, I love multi-class. I don't really know about it in single-seaters so much. Uh, but but yeah, I love endurance races and GT races. And I love that extra element of having different classes. But uh, yeah, and I think around 50 drivers is, is decent enough. You've still got quite big grids in each of the, in each of the classes if you're going to do that. But I'll leave that one up to you. Okay. And Matt, you have been up to, I guess, much the same as me, just trying to survive in the, in the Formula 3 officials. Well, yeah, in addition to the endurance racing, and I'm also doing the PDC League with Kyle. Yeah. And on top of that, uh, I'm also signed up for this other series, major series, and we have a big long race at Daytona in the 87 stock cars, which will simply kill you if you look at them wrong. <laughs> okay. And that's all this week. So it, it's kind of a kind of a busy week for me. So a- along with the mistake X thing, of course. So I think we should kick off with your question because I had exactly the same question. So uh, I'll hand it over to you to, to quiz our, our expert, Brad Philpott. Right. Now, I'm not often one to say that I'm fast, but I did notice that at the last track we raced in Formula 3, Okiyama, I had legitimate for my split, which was usually second or third split, you know, SOF 2000, 2100, 2200. Like top five pace, I was much closer to the fastest guys in my split than I normally am. 
and then I come to Brazil and I'm absolutely nowhere. What, what do I need to be looking at? What can I learn from this? How can I learn from, from these two pieces of data? And, and also, Brad, just to add to that, like me and Matt are not very similar in our driving styles. However, at both Okayama and Interlagos, we're very, very similar paces. I've had exactly the same phenomenon. I turned up at Okayama and suddenly I was on pace and I had no idea why. Went to Interlagos full of confidence and, uh, and I'm back off the pace again. So I'll give you a couple of suggestions. Obviously, I don't know exactly yeah. why this uh, is occurring for you guys, but here's some reasons that it could be. Uh, we've done quite a lot of driving at Okiyama over the over the last year or so, I guess, with iRacing. Um, I find tracks that I'm very familiar with in iRacing, even from different cars, whether it's MX5 that we, I'm sure we did Okiyama in before or the Formula Renaults, um, it, it helps you in the next cars you drive it in. If I jump in in a GT3, at least you know some of the, the little tricks that, you know, some of the curbs you can use and that kind of thing. So maybe maybe familiarity, uh, maybe the setup. I mean, I, you guys tend to use different setups at different tracks. Um, maybe the setup just is better for you at, at Okiyama than it, than it is at Interlagos. Um, or maybe there's some characteristics of that particular track that you just get on with better. So Okayama, it involves lots of medium and high speed sweeping flowing corners. It's quite a wide track. There's not a massive amount of elevation change. And, and that that there is, is is over quite a short period. Unlike Interlagos, we have big, long hills. Yeah. Um, and Interlagos, although it is quite sweeping, there are some very tricky, technical, extremely slow tight corners. Yeah. Um, the problem is I'm sat here thinking and... Okayama has some of those as well, but I think they're maybe more geometrically boring and normal. You've got quite ordinary shaped corners, whereas Interlagos, you tend to have like tightening apexes over crests and that kind of thing. So maybe there's some quirks there that are just catching you out. So the, the one thing I was maybe thinking about with Okayama was, for example, our friend Alex Vangini is in the live chat. Hi, Alex. Has a very aggressive style. He was instantly struggling at Okayama, whereas I will tend to... to to break earlier in general and and try and the term is carry speed isn't it to try and get rid of my speed early and then drive through the corner uh, could it just be that some tracks are more suited to say a more patient style like mine or a more conservative uh father style and some are more suited to someone like alex who like just wrings the neck of it all the way around the track Absolutely. Different tracks with different corner types are suited to different people. I had an example of that myself this season in the Formula, Formula Renaults at Barcelona, um, which has never been a track that I've particularly thought I was amazing at or that I love, but I couldn't stop winning races there. I felt extremely comfortable for whatever reason, the setup and my driving style and the real twisty technical slow section near the end it all just seemed to gel and I found it extremely easy. We then went to Zandvoort, I think was the next track or one of the next tracks. And I was absolutely nowhere to the point where I just stopped doing the official races because I was worried I was going to lose too much eye rating. Um, and I'm sure that is because of just slightly different characteristics. I learned about myself in that Barcelona week that I just, I'm quite good at the slow twisty bits. And, and for some reason in that car, I just job with them. So that's definitely a phenomenon. And that's maybe that's what you guys are experiencing here. It, it's um, it can throw you off, can't it, Matt? Like, especially at our level when you when there are so many variables. So so Brad can probably look at a, an event and a race and go, oh, I know what was different. Uh, I was braking differently or whatever. For you and I, you know, things change from week to week with the, where the wind blows. And every time we fall asleep, we forget a bit of our racing skill. So it's quite kind of bad for confidence to suddenly turn up at Interlagos and go, oh, just, I suck now. I, I want it to be last week again. Yeah, no. And, and that was what I was hoping, like, just to gain some insight, be like, okay, I'm not, I'm nowhere at Interlagos, but that's because I'm good at this kind of corner and Interlagos has that kind of corner and I'm still not so good at that. So I'm still learning and not just, oh, I've forgotten how to drive again. Yeah, that's, I think that's the thing, Brad. So we're establishing that at least it's a real phenomenon and it's not just that, you know, Matt turned up this week just being terrible. I'd say as well, at Interlagos in particular, and I've done quite a lot of races there um, in recent times um, in various cars. And we did the VCO in the Formula 3 cars there. I found that there were quite a lot of, of little secrets that you could uncover that you had to do in order to be fast. So certain curbs you had to use more than you think you would probably legally be allowed to, for example, and really commit to them 
in order to be anywhere near the pace. And? And if you don't know them, and if you're not <laughs> confident to do that, then, then you will be lacking until you've worked it out. So uh, I know some of those areas now. I know where you can go four wheels outside the white lines and not be penalized for it. And it's kind of crucial to, to beat other people who know that. So yeah. um, maybe there's just a few of those secrets you guys still need to uncover. So I've been, I've been definitely having to play off uh, spousal credit and that kind of situation against my desire to compete in all the stuff I want to compete with uh, this week. So I had to miss our normal Monday night practice session where we prepare for the F3 officials or whatever the swarm is doing. So I had to miss that on Monday. And so, and then, and then Tuesday, I'm quite busy. I finally get a window of opportunity to go, right, I'm going to jump on. I'm going to do a F3 Interlagos official, get myself up to speed. iRacing was down for maintenance. I was like, no, it's, it's the dad curse. Whenever you finally get time to do something, whatever system you're on needs an update or is down for maintenance. But they did have a feature where you could test any car, any track and go and do it. And it's interesting what you say, Brad. I, I was going around and I felt good. I felt as good as I did at Okayama. And then I compared times with everyone and I was like a second off. When I got into a practice session this morning, uh, suddenly like turn six as you go up the hill before the real twisty bits. I think it's called Furicella or something. It begins with F anyway, the corner name. Um, you can go all the way out wide. Like you can go miles off track, same as you can at like Watkins Glen, turn one, and just go miles off track. And you'd never think about that on your own. And then on the inside of turn seven, the very first tight right-hand corner of that sequence, you actually can go all the way inside the track. And then on the final corner, you're meant to be like three or four meters out on the rumble strips that look for all the world like they would kill you. And so you're right, you need to kind of unlock that, those secrets by following people around. Yeah, and Matt Cook in the chat there is actually asking which corners, and you've just told you've told everyone basically those are the ones I would have highlighted. Right, that you can you can squeeze a bit more, use a bit more uh, of the track limits, and find a bit of lap time. So with the turn eight right hander that I was describing, it was uh, nearly three tenths difference if you were staying outside the white line or whether you put all four wheels uh, over uh, on the inside. So yeah, uh, phew, track varying track to track. It would be nice if I could identify. And maybe we can build up a pattern of the tracks me and Matt turn up to and just are either lost or on the pace and see if we can build up a pattern of, ah, the tracks where you need to be a little bit more conservative, you guys are struggling, and therefore you should be able to change that into, well, maybe when I come to Interlagos, I need to just be like super like aggressive attack all the curbs. That's that's exactly mm. the kind of thing you should be doing. Trying to re really make a mental note of the types of places you struggle at. And when you find a solution, try and apply that to the other tracks that have similar characteristics. Interlagos, it's not just about that extra curb use as well. There's a few corners like that first very tight right-hander in, uh, in the middle of the circuit where staying off the throttle for longer, longer than you might think, really does pay off. Getting the car rotated that little bit longer in the middle of the corner really pays off on the exit. And, and for example, the following corner, which is kind of a, a left-hander, which dips down and then sweeps back up the hill. There's a cor corners like that where staying very tight and just being patient and really hugging the inside and paying a lot of attention to that gain you a lot of lap time rather than what you think you should do is probably get on the power early and let the car run wide. Little idiosyncrasies like that that you only uncover through trying it. Yeah, the thing is, you can figure those out pretty quickly, whereas me and Matt, are, this is where we benefit from racing within the swarm, because, you know, we can ask silly questions like, in fact, here's one I always struggle with is with, say, uh, a turn like Luffield or the double right-handers up the hill in Interlagos, since we're talking about Interlagos, where there's a choice between staying really tight and taking the shortest distance but losing speed or like slingshotting around the outside so that you can get more pace on the exit. Stuff like that, I, I can never really figure out. I guess without looking at the splits and just trying them out and doing it. But I just don't have that same instinct. And even if I am quicker one lap by going the shortest route, it could just be because I was terrible when I tried it the other way. It's not always obvious and it's not always the one that feels right either, which is why the relative or your, your lap time comparison with the red and the green in iRacing is so useful yeah. um, just, to, just to try it and see which version is quicker. And that leads us back to the question that we said we would answer this week, which was from uh, Thomas van Kroenenberg. Uh, and he was basically asking how useful is a service like VRS? He was asking if I use any of those analysis tools like that. I know some of our swarm 
drivers do have data services where they will compare the traces of a better driver against their traces, see if they're braking earlier and later. And uh, he he did also say, (laughs) as part of that email, because he complimented us to start with, he said, uh, anyway, enough feathers up your asses as a term, which I have not stopped laughing about since last week. He emailed back and he said, I now realize that I cannot translate literally the Dutch proverb, virin inje rechtstrecken. It does not translate directly to putting feathers up your asses. It doesn't doesn't work as well. But thank you for that, Thomas. And also Jake Oliver, who swarms with us, uh, made a similar observation, which is he said, as somebody, as a mid-pack racer with limited time, I've been making an effort to do more analysis and I found the returns to be significant. I use VRS and benchmark myself against their weekly pro. So firstly, does anyone on the panel use any of those tools because currently i don't do anything like that matt do you do you use that kind of analysis yeah i i do have vrs and i will i will occasion to have a look at it but unlike other people i mean i guess you could use it to see where you're uh, slower or how they are faster but i have not had much use oh i see they're breaking 50 meters later and then i break 50 meters later and i get to meet the wall again you know like <laughs> like how i apply that now i haven't figured out how to successfully apply the knowledge obviously jake has uh much more so so i i will use it from time to time to see what i did better but it's not really as useful to me uh just i guess due to the way i learn tracks so we should put this in what is vrs brad you you're you will be aware of it do you use it or anything like it? So VRS, Virtual Racing School, I'm sure that's what that stands for, is one of the big couple of companies um, built up around iRacing where they um, will provide a subscription service where you can get um, setups uh, if you want for different tracks, or you can also have this data acquisition and comparison service, which is what we're talking about here. They're they're also one of the very top SIM teams in the world. Um, And I actually don't normally use this particular uh, VRS software. However, I did this week because... Um, the team that I'm driving with at the coming DNLS this weekend, who are Williams Esports, they use it, and they're pro sim guys. Wait, 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 and wait! You can't, you can't just go, go Williams Esports. Like Williams, yeah, so, Williams. Yeah, so Williams, Williams, one of these like absolute high end, top level sim teams. I'm driving for them in the in the Nurburgring Endurance Series this weekend. Um, because you have to have a real-world pro on your team uh, to partner up with the sim pro, and I happen to be available, and their normal driver isn't. So I've been doing a lot of practice with them, and they use the VRS um, software. So I have, uh, usefully for this podcast, seen how it works, um, and I, I've already used it to knock a couple of seconds off my Nordschleifer time versus the, the sim pro that I'm partnered with, um, and I find it extremely useful data um, analysis. I even use it at work. You'll have seen in our WhatsApp chat this morning um, comparing a couple of different sets of tires at work, and I obviously use it in real racing as well. So I love love reading data. I love love looking into it, but I don't generally use it in my iRacing because you need to have someone better to compare against um oh, here we and go <laughs> no and i don't mean it like that i mean it's useful <laughs> if you've got someone who mm. you are confident in that is say your teammate using the same setup in the same conditions all that kind of thing and i think on the vrs software you can see what conditions and everything that the other driver set their time in but i think it is extremely useful if used in the right way and i just want to really touch on what matt said that doesn't mean that you can just read the data and see oh that that really good driver braked 50 meters later i'll just do that I had that same experience this week. I saw what my what my teammate was doing and I said to him, I can see that you're doing that. I can't necessarily do it. So <laughs> mm. at least you know the areas to try and improve on. It will point you in the right direction and then you can incrementally try and get better in those areas. You can, And sometimes there's obvious things like, oh, you're using third gear there. I'm using second. I'll just do third and you know carry a bit more speed into that corner, for example. As a, a really obvious one that someone found when looking at my trace and they just did it as a favor to me. Um, and they just went, oh, wow, you're not you're not holding the brakes for long enough. You're like, I hold the brakes way longer. And that was about three weeks ago and it set me down quite a path of improvement. I was getting on the brakes very well, I think, and hard enough. And then when, we, when we, you and I have been talking about then bleeding the brakes off and looking for the lock point, basically I was underestimating it at every stage through the braking zone. So now I've worked on really holding the brakes for a lot longer, which is letting me brake a lot later and deeper into the corner it's been really useful Um, so my fear would be how easy is it for someone like me who gets 
as Matt knows, I get very flustered even reading show notes if they're if they're not clear. And how can someone like me look at the, that data and easily tease it out, or do I need an expert to help me? I think it's I think it's reasonably simple. It's difficult for me to to try and put myself in these shoes because I've used data for so many years now. It's like just reading a language that I'm familiar with. But I think when you boil it down, all you're looking at is two colored lines, normally a red line and a blue line, something like that. And if you're looking at a speed graph, the line that's higher is going faster. And and they're quite good, these pieces of software at trying to make it obvious what it is you're looking at. They, they nice. display the data in various ways. You can you can drag your cursor along and it'll show you exactly where on the track you are with a little track map. Um, so it's I, I don't want to make it sound like it's super simple and, and maybe make it out to be easier than it is, yeah. but it's certainly not super difficult to get to grips with. And if you're serious about improving... Um, it's definitely an area you should explore and, and maybe get good at. I'm serious about overtaking Matt and getting better than Matt again. That would be nice. I think the well, best thing really is that it's it's good for uncovering obvious problems. Mm. Like you say, with your brake shape, if somebody's braking too gently or you're rolling on and off the brakes rather than you know getting on them hard initially and then bleeding off, you can see that kind of thing extremely starkly. And for, you know, if someone's flat out through a corner and you're lifting, you can see that very obviously. All those kind of things will hopefully at least uncover the direction you should be headed in. Yeah, I I, I should mention that uh, VRS does have a free option just for the data. You don't get anything else from it, but it will take all your telemetry from iRacing and you can look at it. So if you want to just sort of experiment with it, you can do it for zero dollars or oh, pounds or that's good. currency units. Um, but I would get frustrated, and one of the reasons I stopped looking at it so much is basically it boiled down to they break later, they go faster, <laughs> they step on the throttle earlier, and no matter what it was, it was just those three things. So whenever I'm behind, I just think, okay, well, here's the problem. I'm going through the turn too slow, I'm not braking late enough, and I get on the throttle too late, and then I would try and fix any one of those <laughs> things and just you know spin or hit a wall or... It just, it, you know, it it, it, it it was difficult for me to find uh, a middle ground where I could actually improve my performance because it was always the same problem. I think the important thing there is to just not try to overstretch, um, to not try and do it all at once. Th- this is exactly what I'm experiencing this week because I'm not normally, I don't normally have a teammate who's as much faster than me as these guys at Williams are. And, and exactly as you're pointing out and, and you're explaining you look at the data and you think, yeah, but when I try and do that, the car just crashes. Um, if I, I can see that you're going quicker than me on the entry to that corner, but I tried that and I lost the rear. But I know that it's possible. I know the person's running the same setup. So I'm just trying a little bit faster. I'm just trying to edge a little bit more on the entry. And then once I'm used to that and it's fine, I'll try and go a little bit more. It's It's just it's important to not try and just do it all and just, you know, like you said, initially break 50 meters later. I love how you van jeaned your microphone. Yeah, there, sorry. But... I was getting animated Spanish. <laughs> if you just turn the gain and uh, your microphone down a touch, I think we've got you uh, just a little bit high and a little bit hot. Um, but I am enjoying your fancy new podcast setup and look at you flexing, flexing your trophies and helmets in the background. Yeah, these are just the ones that are allowed in the house. As you know, the, oh, yeah. uh, the garage is, is the place where most of the trophies <laughs> live. I'm just a little bit upset that we didn't introduce you as Williams Esports driver Bradley Philpott. We should have done that. That's so high profile. It's so exciting. Officially, I'm a Butler Powell Esports driver, and they're loaning me to Williams ah, Esports nice. for the weekend. I think that's the the official one. So Butler Powell are a team that I've joined because they are a Nürburgring real-life racing team. So they race in the VLN series that I race in in real life. And they have a sim team as well. And they're kind of, they're really actually a sim team, first and foremost, who also race cars. And I'm not going to be going and driving for them in real life, but I really like that they're like-minded. They love mm. the Nordschleifer and they're really cool German guys. And they're going to do all the big events for me. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm noticing, obviously, this year, as people have turned to esports a little bit more, there's a real organization around having a team and most of the major motorsport out teams seem to want to have also some sim representation and uh, i think you're not going to un you know you're not going to put that genie back in the bottle i think esports and sim racing has kind of mainstream recognition now and i, I think it's going to be kind of interchangeable with with drivers like you i'm not going to call you a journeyman driver but <laughs> journeyman drivers you know will flick between professional esports teams and professional race teams as well i think it will be seen as a a legitimate supplement and or alternative to to real racing there's actually a, a GT championship and I don't know the name of it, a uh, real life GT championship in Europe this season, who I believe are apportioning a certain amount of points towards the real championship from the sim racing version no. of that championship. So at each race, I believe they're setting up an, an esports area and the real drivers have to go and compete in the virtual race as well. And you wow. can only get full points if you, if you win both. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I think the lines are starting to get blurred and, and, you know, obviously technology makes that makes that more real as well. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe one day you'll have a real mix where your sim pod just controls a, a real world car that it doesn't matter if you smash it at 500 miles an hour. Maybe that. There you go, Matt. There's your driver resolution problem. As, as yep. cars get so fast and so amazing that they become undrivable, we just put the driver in a, in a sim cockpit to control it. Yeah, well, and that also solves the problem with the cars being too fast for the circuits because then you don't have to worry about them hitting walls quite so much, do you? <laughs> okay, we're getting a, a little bit off track, but I'm glad that there's a, a free version of that VRS to, to drive, not an advert from them, although we would appreciate any support from any racing schools or coaches or any iRacing uh, peripherals out there who want to come and collaborate with us. Do get in touch, spannersready at gmail.com. Because uh, when you said initially another subscription, I was like, oh, good. Because my wife is already delighted by the amount of money that uh, iRacing and, and sim equipment costs. Uh, but I'm assuming that VRS also supply like setups and stuff the same as, as PDS as well. All right, cool. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give that a go. I'm going to give that a go. And can I just go and get any trace? So can I just find whoever's brilliant in my session and go, right, where am I losing time to Marcus uh, Rodriguez? Or does it have to be someone I'm friends with? Uh, you can be on a team... And you can look at your teammates' traces, or I think um, they provide their pro trace for you to compare against. 
I'm not sure if that's part of the paid service or part of the free service. Right. Yeah. But even if all you're doing, but they will give you your optimal lap and your perfect lap to look at. So you can even just compare yourself to your perfect lap and see where you're losing time just to yourself uh, in terms of ways to, to look for improvement. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a shot. It's scary, uh, but I'm going to try. I would like to end the last 10 minutes or so, if possible, to ask a, a personal spanners question, because quite frankly, the, the main reason I set this ball rolling was so that I could ask specific questions about my racing and make myself faster. And Brad, I think I, I'm serious about getting faster. I just, I don't know if I've got the time to commit to it, but what time I have got, I am trying to use wisely. I can see some improvement and I can put a lot of it down to just being able to ask you these questions. And you guys listening, you can also put questions to our, our experts, Brad or anybody else we get on to help us with the coaching. Uh, email me spannersready at gmail.com or mistapexpodcast uh, at gmail.com. Or you can email Matt as well. That, that probably increases the chances of it getting actually put into any form of show notes. Uh, Matt is at mattpt55 at gmail.com. So my question to you, Brad, is angle of attack into a corner. So just to just to put it into some context, whenever I go on board with you and watch you approach a hairpin, I am always surprised how often you leave the outside of the track on entry. So I'm always surprised how early you start pointing to the apex. So in my mind... The racing line generally kind of starts out as wide as you can, yeah, and then you kind of almost slingshot to the to the apex. So I always like turning quite late. I get the the braking done, turning quite late, point to the apex, and then try and you know straighten it out. Whereas whenever I see you driving towards a, a corner, yeah, all like you leave the outside way earlier than I would, and so this is what I've been struggling with. Where am I pointing my car? Or how do I decide where to point my car as I enter a corner, you know, so so that I'm not flying off into the barriers or or leaving myself? Because when I when I look at your angle, I think I don't want to do that because that's giving me less space to turn and get the car rotated. Does, does that make sense? Do you recognize what I'm saying? Yeah, I completely recognize it. And at the risk of, of sounding um, too boring, this is extremely complex and depends on many, many factors. Um, one of which is the confidence you have in your own car control. So um, there will be times where you will, a, a certain driver will will take a particular line because they are confident that at that line is the correct compromise between distance, the speed they're going to have to slow down to, and what they're going to have to do in terms of car control in the middle of the corner um, mm. or the risk that it's going to make the rear step out, for example. So I would hazard a guess that if you're turning in later than me for yes. certain corners and you're, you're trying to give yourself a wider angle of attack and a kind of an easier time when you arrive yeah. at the apex, yeah. that might uncover the fact that maybe it's not the fastest way because the when the car is all completely nice and settled and you've got lots of time to think about things, it's not necessarily the fastest way through. Yeah. Whereas I might be compromising with a little bit of mid-corner stability, but I've got to that apex earlier, faster, and if there is a small moment of oversteer, maybe I can collect it up. Mm. I'm completely just hypothesizing uh, because no, without a specific right. example, it's difficult to to analyze why I did a certain thing versus what you did. Yeah, that's but right. If you're seeing this as a general rule, maybe that's why. So you say that's when I look at you, I think, well, you don't have any time to get it rotated. Whereas because I've gone out, I've waited later to turn into the corner. By the time I get to the apex or near the apex, I'm already pointing more towards the exit. Whereas you're kind of coming in shallower, if you like. Um, but aren't you compromising your apex speed by not already being the correct angle yes you've got there quicker but you're making yourself much harder for yourself so depending on the corner and and what came before this corner what comes after apex speed is definitely not the be all and end all so um it's one of the things that you're trying to maximize in in any given corner um but if the following straight for example is is quite short then apex speed might be lower on your priority list than distance maybe it's actually quicker as a sector, if you if you travel a shorter distance because getting a better exit, for example, or carrying more speed through this particular hypothetical apex might be the the less good compromise um, if you've got some options. So again, I'm completely just speaking hypothetically here. So without a specific example of a yeah. specific corner and car is tough. 
Um, but there are multi multiple reasons why you might not put your entire emphasis on the the maximum speed you can carry as a minimum speed through a corner. Can I ask a specific question? Yes. Yeah. About in this case, um, I, I actually have uh, two corners from Brazil. The next to last corner, the left hander that goes that starts you going up the hill. And then the last corner, um, uh, or it would be the, um, the, the corners, the, the, the first corner really, but the second corner in Brazil that starts you down the hill in both of those, I have come to the conclusion for myself that the most important thing is being able to be on the throttle as soon as possible because there are very long stretches afterwards. And I will compromise other things, including carrying more speed through turn two in order to do that. And the same with the next to last turn. I will try and get the car turned to be on the throttle even well before I get to the corner because it's such a long straight afterwards. Is that the kind of thing you're talking about? That's exactly the kind of thing I'm talking about. And let's just take one of those. So the I, I would call this the final corner at Interlagos, yeah. but I, I appreciate there is a flat out corner which comes as you get to the top of the hill. But the, the penultimate corner um, the, is, is that Glock corner, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. which is kind of a, I guess a little less than 90 degree left-hander up, up a steep hill, isn't it? So in Spanner's um, example, maybe maybe we could say this is a corner where Spanner's and I are, might drive it differently and he gets a higher apex speed. He's started out wider and turned in a bit later and is actually traveling faster through the apex than I am. Yeah. But my focus at that exact point, at that apex, as Matt highlighted, is on traction. I want to make sure that I can get on the power as early as possible with no danger of spinning the wheel. So I want the car... Uh, very settled, facing a very specific way with the steering as straight as possible. And I don't want to be uh, carrying speed through that corner, which is going to mean I'm running wider for longer and retaining some steering lock for longer because that might potentially hamper my traction. And, And my focus at that point is driving up that hill without any loss of traction, completely under control. So that's just one example where it, it shows that the the speed you carry in um, or the speed that you reach the apex at isn't necessarily everything. So hard to describe while talking, but essentially on the on the entry to that corner, I'm staying to the right-hand side for quite a long time and all my braking is parallel to the sorry, to the direction of the road, if that makes sense. So I'm, I'm braking, I'm getting all my speed off. I start to release the brakes and then I'm starting to turn towards the apex and getting the power on. For you, when, you've, when you're braking, you're already pointing to the apex. So you're no longer going parallel with the, the sides of the road. You're now going at a, like a diagonal towards the, towards the apex already. Yes, there, there's probably a bit more blending of the braking and the steering sure. um, as well, which, which is something you don't necessarily see from an onboard unless you're looking at um, inputs as well with the brake trace and that kind of thing. But yes, th- this is another why I, this is reason why I said it's a bit complex because just because... If you were to watch a video, say with no sound, and just watch the geometric line that certain drivers take into certain corners, just because that might look maybe better on one, doesn't necessarily mean that it's faster when you see all the other under the surface complexity that's going on. Like you mentioned, maybe I'm trailing the brakes in more or more aggressively because I'm more confident that if it starts to move around, if, the, if I start to lose the rear, I can collect it up and it won't affect the corner. Mm. Um, and so that will certainly affect how I'm, where I'm turning in, how early I'm turning in and how aggressively I'm getting to the apex. Um, even if at the apex itself, I might be slightly slower. Ugh, that's, this is horrible. I hate it when we identify a whole thing, a whole area where I'm like just poor. So uh, what would you advise to me? You, you know where I'm at generally, skill-wise. Do I want to be working on this? Do I want to be going, okay, for that last corner in Brazil, I want to be more, more or less, you know, starting to turn and break. There's a bit of, crossover between the two and diving straight for the apex or do you just kind of go no look at your corporate level you're fine you're doing what makes you comfortable just try and do that better or do i need to to move to where you are so this is this is advice i give for lots of situations um in driving trying to drive faster but specifically for this one if you're ever finding it easy if you're ever finding that you comfortably <laughs> yeah. made the apex you comfortably got on the throttle you you comfortably were able to turn in and and the car wasn't trying to get away from you then there's probably more time to find in that area so it's i hate giving general advice because so often it doesn't apply to all situations <laughs> but right. as a general rule if something feels too easy you're probably not close enough to the limit so 
for example, if you're turning in that bit later than me in our pretend example, um, and, and you're getting to the apex fine, and there's no movement from the rear, maybe, maybe try carrying more speed and turning in slightly earlier and, and see what happens. See if you do, this is why I love the live Delta. We spoke about yeah. data earlier, but the, the thing I use most in iRacing is just the red and green numbers that appear. And I, I'm generally comparing against my optimal lap, but whatever you're comparing against, if it's better, it's green. And if it's worse, it's red. And I love using that to, to fast track my way to the best compromise in a situation. So, so just keep going until you can't make it go green anymore <laughs> and then maybe back off. But, but I feel now like I've got options in, a, in every corner. So now when I'm practicing and I'm, I'm trying to improve my lap time, I've got options. And there is, of course, like there's a middle ground. It's not just diving straight for the apex or keeping it parallel in my kind of granddad's Uncle Spanner's way of driving. You can, you can bring that into the middle. So you can, you can start to go, okay, well, I'm going to be a little more direct this time. I'm going to go a little bit more towards the apex and, and improve that way. Kyle Power in the chat brings up a great point as well, which is that the actual surface of the track, as in mm. the dirt and the marbles and the, the grip level of a particular piece of tarmac, can play into this massively as well. It might be that if you were to draw a racing line on a piece of paper for a particular angle of corner, you might do one line. But in reality, maybe there's a grippier piece of concrete at the apex, like Watkins Glen, for example, there's a few of these, where even though it doesn't look necessarily right, it's just quicker to go in earlier because you get onto the grippy a bit earlier. So you've yeah. got those things to consider as well. So at Okiyama last week, there's a big long back straight leading to a hairpin. I've, I'd got very used to the fact that my braking point was about 75, something like that, and brake down into first gear. I The first time I went to overtake someone, I went, all right, I'll be a bit conservative, 80. Could not get it stopped at all, flung straight off. It's because there's like a bit of banking on the correct racing line that allows you to break that late. And if you're not on that line and not on that banking, you don't get any of that effect. So yeah, there's an example there. Another one is in karting, um, Milton Keynes, Daytona. If it's wet, there just happens to be a certain type of concrete on the inside of the corners that has grip no matter whether it's wet or dry. So the normal wet lines don't work. You just have to dive straight for that for that bit of concrete. Yep, exactly. I've experienced that and, and got that wrong myself at that particular track. Nice. Uh, guys, 45 minutes in. I think that's about the right time for these podcasts. Thank you so much uh, for joining me for this. It's um, it's nice to finally have like an outlet, a weekly outlet to sit and talk about iRacing. Because believe it or not, when I go into the house, I don't know what it's like for you guys. They don't want to hear it. I go, I go in there and I'm like, I came fourth. It was a, I really had to struggle, but I got through a difficult start. And they're like, uh-huh. And they, they don't care at all, Brad. Not at all. Whenever I try and tell Becca um, exactly what's happened to me in the last race, she always just says, I heard. <laughs> oh, because you're on the stream talking out loud. That's yeah, she, she can hear me shouting at the competitors and being grumpy when it goes wrong. Uh, you can follow Brad's stream by searching for Bradley Philpot on YouTube and uh, search for Bradley Philpot Motorsport as well, I think, isn't, and that will, that will bring it up. And will you be streaming your uh, DNLS race with, yeah, with yes. Williams Esports? Yes, I will. So for the first time in, in these series, I'm with a team which has a history of winning all the races. Generally, I'm with someone who's kind of like middle of the grid and we'll try and be competitive, but we don't have that much of a chance of winning these big events. Williams seemed to win them all. So I've got some big shoes to fill <laughs> with the guy that I'm replacing, Sammy Matty Trogan. Uh, so I will be streaming it and, um, and I'll do my best and see where we come. But hopefully, even if people don't watch my stream and they watch the normal official VCO like TV coverage with the commentary, hopefully we'll be featuring in that too if we're somewhere near the front. And same with the Nations Cup the day after. I am going to be streaming my stuff as well, which will just be the F3 officials. Uh, it's not anywhere near the standard of Brad's and it's very much a work in progress. But if you want to go ahead and subscribe to me, uh, search for Spanners iRacing Stream. I think it's called on YouTube. And uh, Matt, uh, you're concentrating, I guess, with me as well on the Missed Apex finale. Formula Renault 2.0, the last Formula Renault 2.0 race we're going to be doing. We're doing it at Interlagos. As well, and I, I tell you what, I get so pumped up for these Missed Apex series events. For me, I know Brad's got his, he's got his clever, for him it's like, oh no, that would be a distraction from my going and doing Williams Esports. For me, this is like my World Cup of iRacing competing in the map series. 
Yeah, it is. Uh, the drivers are all very good. The competition is incredibly close. And uh, it's just, it, it really is a lot of fun to participate. And I will say the uh, live streaming and production values are also first rate. Oh, yeah. It, it's on this channel. So if you're watching this now, um, so oh, if you're on the audio version, search for Missed Apex Motorsport on YouTube. Subscribe to that. We're going to be doing any live versions of this podcast. We'll be streaming them on that channel. And you can watch it live. Also, there's great post-production, post-produced versions of the races as well. Um, It's so much fun. We've got Chris Stevens and Chris Catman-Turner commentating. And I I love getting involved in it. And then when you watch it back and you hear your name on the commentary, you're like, they said me on the telly. I know it's not telly, but it totally totally does feel like that. Um, So uh, follow the show at iRacingPodcast. Matt at MattPT55 on Twitter. Brad is at Bradley Philpot. I'm at Spanners Ready. Uh, We'll see you on Sunday if you're going to join us for the Formula One show with Chris Medland joining me and Matt for some F1 chat. Um, Or remain indoors Thursday, 2 p.m. for me and Matt doing more hot takes on uh, current affairs and such like. Wherever we see you next, work hard, be kind and have fun. This was Missed Apex iRacing Podcast. Uh, I feel faster already. Whenever the music closes on this show, I thought, oh, I can go and I can go and put some lap time in. In fact, I'm going to go and do the 3.15 and do editing afterwards and hope she doesn't notice the extra time. That it's- <laughs> I'm going to make a cup of tea and I'm going to do two hours of Nordschleife practice. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.